Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we're doing, uh, continuing with a series that I started a few weeks back called Redeeming uh, Relationships. And it's about, um, you know, recovering relationships to the way God would have them to be, uh, the way God intended relationships to have, happen. Basically, when it all comes down to it, it is about relationships. Uh, life is about our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationship with each other. And life without relationships is pretty meaningless and pretty empty. But many relationships are not founded on uh, godly principles, are not founded on the way God would have those relationships. And so we're talking about redeeming relationships. And I believe Pastor Cole talked about a lot about the love of the Father and how that impacts on us, which is important to know. Today we're going to talk about the love-shaped whole that is in all of us, the love-shaped whole that is in all of us, and what that looks like, how we react, uh, um, struggle to try and get it filled, and how we can minister to fill that love-shaped hole in others. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Uh, anyone married here? Yep. Who had it read in their wedding? Keep your hand up. No, okay, well, there you go. That's probably why there's issues there. You need to deal with that. <laughs> All right, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the great uh, wedding one. Love is patient, love is kind. But I want to look at this stage, the first three verses in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1, everyone got it? Page 1166. And it says, 13, verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels... But I do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, this is particularly meaningful for me because I did spend some time in Nigeria uh, on emissions in Nigeria. And in Nigerian services, they have one volume. It is full. It is, everything is turned up full. And the percussion instrument consists of a bunch of guys with cowbells and, and metal things. And they basically play them and ring them at as loud as they possibly can, and, um, and it was a shock for me to come into this first service in an Nigerian church and having these cowbells going, ding, ding, ding. So this verse always reminds me of that, all right? It's interesting because it says, although we can be so spiritual and look and sound so spiritual, but really if we do not have love, then we're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and if I know all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to move mountains. Now that's real interesting because uh, I was talking to the Corinthians, of course, which were very spiritual people. All the gifts were operating there. And it's interesting for him to say, if I have faith to move mountains... And probably alluding to 
Jesus is teaching in Mark 11, if you say to that mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast and see, do not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. If we have that faith to move mountains and, and we're moving in all the gifts of spirit, but we are not founded in love, it, he says, I am nothing. And I love it here how Paul puts it in the first person in this instance. He doesn't say you, if you have faith. He says, if I have all these things and I do not have love, I am nothing. And in verse 3 he says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. I gain nothing. And he's really saying to the church, He's talking about me, all these signs and wonders, but if I'm not moving in love, then it's pointless. I, I am nothing. And, and if I lay down my life to the point where I get burned, for the, uh, sell everything I have, give it to the poor, and, and, and uh, surrender my life so that I'm martyred, but if it's not done in love... It is of no gain to me. There's no benefit to me. And Paul really nails it here that we are created for love and to give love. Um, I love C.S. Lewis. Anyone love C.S. Lewis? I grew up with Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity, uh, and all those other uh, great books of his. But he puts this argument about... Um, He's putting an apologetic argument out for the presence of God. He says, really, we, we are, because we dream for eternity, we were made for eternity. He says, um, what good would hunger, would hunger be if, if we never had food? And he goes on to argue, what, how, how is it that we fear growing old? And we wake up one morning, like I did the other day, and I'm 45. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, wow, how did I get to that? But you will, Chloe. And even, what is this concept of time if we were not made for eternity? Do you really think the dog has a concept of time? C.S. Lewis says... What is this concept of time or eternity uh, if we were not made for eternity? And likewise, what is this need for love that we have if we were not made for love? In the end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we, we see perfectly, we see dimly now, we know dimly now, but when we are fully known, we'll know fully. And I believe that we'll know our true identity when we fully know the love that he has for us. But we're all made for love. Um, they have this syndrome with children. It's called the failure to thrive syndrome. Any heard of, anyone heard of it? The failure to thrive syndrome. There's situations where children, uh, babies, uh, they're getting all the food, all the shelter, all the protection that they need, and yet they stop eating, and eventually, after a month or two or sooner, they just die. 
And this understanding came uh, when they found that in some orphanages, there was as much as 30 to 40% fatality rate in babies that were getting food, that were getting clothed, that were getting medical help, that were getting their diapers changed, they were warm, and yet the death rate was over 30% in them. We have a little niece, her name's Abigail. She's 11 years old now. She's Ethiopian. It's very funny to see my white sister walking down the street with my white brother-in-law and this beautiful Ethiopian girl following them. She was adopted by my, by my sister in Ethiopia uh, about 10 years ago. She's 11 now, so about 10 and a half years ago. And we recall the process that she was going through to adopt this beautiful Ethiopian baby. And uh, we're all very excited as a family because we were, you know, she'd flown over to Ethiopia. They'd arranged to pick up. They'd seen the photos of this, this little baby. And uh, she had been uh, left or handed in by her mother who uh, was not in a position to look after this child. And what, uh, when, when Carolyn went to pick up the child, what they didn't tell her is that the child hadn't eaten for a few weeks, hadn't taken food, and its weight, her weight had plummeted. And she was suffering from this failure to thrive. And of course, what happens in a lot of the orphanages is they feed them, change the diaper, and just leave them in the cot. And they just die. So Carol and Tim picked up this baby from the orphanage, and even over the next day or two, we would hear back from her that, that little Abigail still hadn't eaten. And so even though now that she was being cared after and looked after, she still hadn't eaten. So they rushed her to the US, uh, US embassy. They live in Atlanta. And they, rushed, uh, they got her uh, US passport straight away, flew her back to the States where she could get medical treatment. And then gradually, when we first met Abigail, was a few months after that, she visited us in Canberra. And uh, she had started to crawl. And uh, Carolyn had said, just leave Leave, leave her. Do not go up to her. Because apparently when people have suffered this lack of love, um, they need to re-go through this process of establishing trust relationships with people. So it would be that we would just be sitting down and they'd put Abigail on the ground. And then after a day or so, she would start to come up to us. And, and then once she came up to us and, and, and gave us some of her attention, then we knew that we were safe to start to give some love back to her. And they say that people who have, the studies show that people who have had a lack of love or this sort of lack of love in their childhood uh, reject and push away relationships. They find... Uh, forming love relationships and receiving love, hard to do. And uh, we know that just the, there's other studies that show just the little, little sign of affection and people just begin to blossom. They've known, for example, in, in schools, school teachers, that if the teacher just touches uh, a child, you know, the, 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 when they go through the class, they just touch a child just on the back of the elbow like that. And they did studies in class where the teachers went through and just touched it through. Just touched them like that. How are you going? That. The ones that the teacher did touch are twice as likely to volunteer to help that teacher. 
Everyone gets treated exactly the same. But that little human touch, that little sign of affection, that little sign that, that, that I appreciate you, and that child is twice as likely. And there must be something about this number twice as. They've done other studies with doctors uh, in surgeries. And if the doctor reaches over and gives a little em empathetic touch on the hand of the patient, when they go and review that, uh, that treatment afterwards, patients that had, that had exactly the same treatment in every other way, but the doctor just reached out and touched their hand like that, they felt that um, the time they spent with the doctor was twice as long and twice as much care, and everything was just the same, but that little sign of love that little sign of affection. And we were made for love and we were made to give love. It's not about the nail. You've seen that video? It's not about the nail. All right? Uh, we have a friend um, in Tulsa. His name's Larry. He was, uh, I think I've told some of you this story. He was formerly with the uh, mafia in... in um, in New York, he got saved a halfway house out of prison, and uh, as soon as he uh, got out of uh, out of jail, he proceeded down Highway 66 through Tulsa and stopped there and saw this big faith sign on top of this church. Went in there and signed up for Raymond Bible College there. We met him the next year. He'd never opened his Bible till he went to Bible College. We we uh, first time he opened his Bible was the first lesson in Bible College, and uh, so they decided to run a day school. A day school, this is the literal, not daddy daycare, this is mafia daycare. I had no idea it was mafia daycare, really, when we signed our kids up for it. And if you know Lauren and Luke, that probably explains a few things. They went to mafia daycare. I had no idea it was mafia daycare until as winter started to come on, you know, uh, August, September, October, he looks me up and down as I come to the night, he goes, goes, Grant, I've got something for you. And he brings out this full-length leather overcoat, sorry, full-length woolen overcoat, Pierre Cardin, red satin lined. This will do for you. I'm talking about a five, six hundred dollar overcoat. This will keep you warm, Grant. He goes like that. He goes, he goes, puts it on, he goes, that looks good. Stay there. I've got something else for you. I've got to be careful because very often my accents, they tend to lean towards a Pakistani accent. I go for too long. Oh, they've got something for you. <laughs> right? He goes back, he pulls this full length, full leather, top grain, overcoat from here to there, you're talking thousands, said, take this one as well. And I asked him, where'd you get it from? He said, oh, from my brother, he changes, he changes his wardrobe every season. Every season he goes in, that, now that's four times a year. Goes in, by, and I'm talking about Pierre Cardin, full-length leather, just goes in. We found out later that his brother was still in the mafia. <laughs> I looked through those pockets very carefully. All right? He has sort of had this approach to, he said to us one day, he said, Luke's going to be all right, Grant. I said, what do you mean Luke's going to be all right? He said, well, this Nigerian kid's been bullying him for weeks. He said, Luke grabbed him's head, rammed it through the plaster wall. He came and showed this hole in the plaster wall in the house. He said, he said that shut him up. Luke's going to be fine now. <laughs> all right? Okay? But he was telling this story about Thanksgiving. See, even you Christians know what, that we need love. And even Larry knew that we need love because he was telling the story. He was managing a takeaway and one of the Bible college students was doing the drive-through and the takeaway. And Larry was concerned about this student's mate, his friend, who was uh, on college campus residence and had moved up from Texas and didn't have anyone to do Thanksgiving with. 
because they invited us for Thanksgiving and, and he wanted to make sure that everyone that he knew was covered with Thanksgiving because that's loving thing to do, you understand. So he went and asked this young guy in his 20s, he said, he said, what are you doing with your friend for Thanksgiving? You having Thanksgiving? And the guy said, no, nah, I didn't think we'd do Thanksgiving with him. And Larry said, what do you mean? He's telling, recounting this. He said, I grabbed him by his shirt and I threw him up against the wall. I said, you got to walk in love. <laughs> we were made for love. We were made for love. And made to give love. Praise God. All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. So to be someone, according to 1 Corinthians 13, to be someone in the kingdom of God, we need to know that we are loved and we need to walk in love. And to gain or move forward in the kingdom of God, we need to walk in love and we need to know that we're being loved. Luke chapter 15, of course, we know this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. And there's two things I want to, um, a couple of things I want to bring out here. We call it the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, others say the parable of the father with two sons. And really when we read this parable, it's about love, it's about grace, it's about forgiveness. But really it's about coming home in some ways. And at different times in our life, we're the prodigal son. At different times in our life, we're the older son. And at different times in our life, we're the father. Who knows that? All right? This is a very interesting parable because this, the prodigal son gets resolution. The father gets some resolution. But the parable ends, it's an open-ended parable, which was... A, a, a typical way of teaching and thinking in those times when you were just supposed to go away and think about this. Sila, go away and think about this. And you'll find at the end, the father gives the explanation to the son, uh, the older son, and the older son says, and Jesus ends it there. And I think that's clearly because Jesus thought, most of the people I'm speaking to are the older son. Most of the people I'm thinking to, talking to, don't know about the love of the Father in their life because they're so busy trying to do things and trying to impress things, trying to be somebody, that they haven't been able to receive the Father's love. And we read here, Luke chapter 15. First of all, uh, so we'll go down, we'll read from, um, now the older son, verse 25. His older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, verse 27, because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out pleading with him. 
And he answers and he said to him, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I find it very interesting that when we don't know the love of God, when we don't know our relationship with Father, when we're not, we tend to react two different ways. And these sons reacted two different ways. One of them basically rebelled. And the Bible says he went and lived a life without any thought to the consequences, without any morals. And you find when, when people who um, haven't known love or haven't known a father's love and a mother's love for them, will often go away and will normally try and find that love in someone else. And they sell themselves. And the prodigal son, of course, sold himself, doing all the things that he knew he shouldn't do, being all the things he knew he shouldn't be, and it's really interesting to see when people go and sell their lives, of course, their, their dignity is smashed and it's just obviously a downhill, down and down and down until they, the Bible says they come to their senses and they realise that what they were really looking for is not in those things. It's not in fornication. It's not in idolatry. It's, not, it's in their relationship with the Father. And the Bible says he repented and, and he turned, and, but he still, when, it, when he was coming back, he says, I will go and say to my father that I have sinned before God and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And there's, there's still this idea there that somehow he was going to have to earn the love of the father. And that is a human type of love. Basically, there's a human, natural, carnal love, and to put it simplistically, and there's a God kind of love. A God kind of love is outlined in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love um, doesn't expose people. It takes no delight in other people's failures. That's the love that we have, that God has for us. It's the God kind of love. The God kind of love has never been to the divorce court. The God kind of love has never been to the domestic violence court. But the kind of love that we feel when we really are not feeling love and we're grasping and clinging on to other people is about our need and our ability to receive real love and to give real love. So the prodigal son turns for home, but he was never going to be home like a son. He was going to be home like a servant, feeling still that he owed something to his father. And the father seeing him, what does he do? He says he ran to him. The Bible says he put the best robe on him. I love that that undeserving as he was, he put the best robe. Like, you know, you might think, well, my child doesn't deserve this. Anyone whose parents thought that, my child doesn't deserve this. I thank God that we don't get what we deserve. I thank God that we do not get what 
we deserve. I do not want to stand before God and have the count of my life going before him and I said, Lord, I just want what I deserve. And he gave him the best robe and he killed the fatted calf. And this son came home. He didn't really come home until he discovered the father's love. See, he came home as a servant. When he discovered the father's love, he realized he was still a son. He was still a child. But the older son, the older son's response is interesting. Because the older son starts talking about, I, I've done this, I've done that. Carnal love is always about me. It's about how it's affected me. It's what's been done to offend me, what's been done to hurt me. And he goes on and on. And the irony here is that the older son was in the presence of the father's love all this time and never knew it. And works-based righteousness will do that. If we still think or feel that we have to earn the father's love. Or if we're in a relationship and we still think that we have to earn that love. We'll never know true love. And the older son says, I've done this, I've done that, I've obeyed you, and you have never once killed the fatted calf for me. And the father says, what are you talking about? He says, all that I have is yours. And if you look back, I think it's in verse 19, when the, when the younger son came and asked for what was his, the Bible says he, he split up and he gave to both of them. It's sad that we can sit in church, we can be saved, and yet we still have a bound by this works-based love that we have to earn the Father's love. And we will give love to our kids and we'll give love to our husbands and our wives when they deserve it. Well, that's the type of love that goes to divorce courts. That's the type of love that, that is a carnal love, a worldly love. And the son, the older son, was not able to experience the father's love even though he was in the house. He was in the house. And we're to know that God's love for us is unconditional. He doesn't love us more when we've prayed. He doesn't love us less when we haven't. When we've fallen and failed, it's not less love from the Father. He doesn't withhold from us. His love is unconditional. It's gentle. It takes no account of harm done to the father. And the father said to the, to the older son, this has been yours all the time. And the son says nothing back because Jesus is talking to Pharisees, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to the people under the law, he's talking to people that were identifying with the older son. My father, my earthly father says to me, oh, that, fr that parable frustrates me because I feel the older son's been hard done by. And what the older son never realized is that unconditional love was always his. Always his. And if our relationships, if we're going to redeem lost relationships, 
buy them back, put them on God's foundation. We have to start loving in the 1 Corinthians 13 way. Love is patient. Love is kind. We have to know the love of God for us so that we can give that love. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And, and you know, we think we've got to love God. You know, I, and I hear some songs and I hear sermons. We've got to love God. We've got to love God more. You can't, you can't love someone from a weak foundation. You can't think, I've got to love God. No, you, you've got to find out how much God loves you. I have never felt loved more than when I was totally undeserving of that love. Never felt love more, both from God and from other people. I'll kind of finish with this story. When uh, we uh, met with a... Uh, we saw a relative of Linda's. Um, and we first met her in <coughs> 1997. She was in her early 30s, very attractive young lady. Um, her mum proudly told us that she was a model, found out later that it was a hand model, but that's all right. Foot model, foot model. <laughs> but very attractive young lady, seemed to have everything going for her. Still unmarried, still without children at that age, in her early 30s. But really life was at her feet. And again, we saw her, I think we saw her again the next uh, two years later, 1999, when we were up there for summer. And we didn't hear much about her um, next few years. Heard she got married, heard that. Heard that she had a son, heard that. Next thing we heard is that she was having some trouble and had been caught up in alcoholism and had become an alcoholic. And life just plummeted down from there. Her name's Tammy. I actually asked her for permission to give her testimony. Life plummeted down there. She was regularly getting arrested for driving with her son in the back of the car, so much so that she ended up in jail just time and time again for this. And eventually the courts took her son away and, and put her with uh, Linda's dad and Linda's stepmom to look after. And then one day she fell off the roof of a house and crushed a, a vertebrae on there. She was probably drunk. This was this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. Really, you'd think the whole world in front of her. What we didn't know at the time is that, is that when she was two, her father left her. Her father left this family. He put him in a house, put the house on mortgage, and then, and then unbeknown to the mother and seven kids, and Tammy was two years old when this happened, he put a mortgage, loaned against the car, he loaned against all the furniture, loaned against everything in the house, all the appliances in the house, and then took away with the money. They had no idea when he'd gone that all the debt collectors started coming for the car, for the furniture, and they were left with this house and this mortgage. And and no furniture, no car. And some of her family got together and she ended up, she bought a pub. The mother bought a pub, a bar. And so Tammy was left to be raised uh, in the back room of this pub with a sister and a whole bunch of drug dealers and all sorts of things going on. And the mother didn't know. 
And so Tammy uh, fell into alcoholism in her late 30s and 40s, lost the baby and uh, was just constantly in jail. And then every time, you know, every few times we talked to Linda's dad, how's Tammy going? Well, she's in jail or she's out. All that sort of stuff. Then a couple of years ago we heard Tammy's dry. Tammy's been dry. She's been dry for a year. And then we heard... Tammy's been dry for another year. And then when we arrived this time, Tammy's been dry. She's just got her three-year award dry. And so one Sunday after church, uh, in the middle of these holidays, we went to uh, um, Linda's stepbrother's house on the lake, and they've got a beautiful house on the lake, jet ski and boats, and, and Tammy was there. And um, we were been shown around this house, and at the bottom of these grand sweeping stairs, massive house leading up to upstairs. And Tammy came up and said, hi. And I said, Tammy, I said, it's great to hear that you're doing well. And she looked at me and she said, he saved me. I went, wow. You know, it's, sort of, it, it's different. You know when God's touched people and you know when they've had a taste of that love because all her family was still thinking, Tammy's been dry a year, Tammy's been dry two years, Tammy's been dry three years, all this sort of stuff. And uh, we couldn't ask her there, but I said to her, Linda and I would love to hear that story. And a few days later, she came around and uh, she sat down and she told us this story. And she told us how she had fallen into alcoholism. And she said, I could not help myself she said Grant and Linda you would have no idea what it's like to to be driving home and not to be drunk and in your head saying I'm not going to drink and then you just find yourself in the car park of a of a of a of a bar and you drink and you drive home drunk and again you get picked up and you get sent into jail and we said to her how how did it happen well, finally, after years and years and years of this, she got to jail and she was like the prodigal son. She, was, she came to her senses and she realised that she could not do anything. And she cried out to God. She said, you've got to help me, God. And she was being locked away. This is for the dozenth, twentieth time. And she grabbed this book on the way into the, into the, into the, uh, into the jail room. And she got in there, she opened up and it was a Joyce Meyer book. And she opened up to a prayer, a prayer that prayed a prayer for alcoholics and drug addicts. She said she prayed that prayer. And then she didn't know what happened to her after that, but everyone looked at her as different. And I said, asked her, what brought you to that? She said, what brought me to that, Grant, was that every time there was Christians in that prison that would minister to the prisons. And she said, every time I came back, they just loved me. And someone in there had a, had a prison ministry. And every time she came in, they hugged her and they loved her. She said, I was ruining my life. I was ruining my son's life. I was ruined. And yet these people, and I can see her sitting there, she's going, they just loved me. They just loved me. And it wasn't until she found that unconditional love, not based on merit, not based on what she'd done, that she found in her the spiritual reserve to turn to God. And she was looking good, 
three years later, got her three-year stars from Alcoholics Anonymous, testifying at churches. And she was live with Linda's uh, stepmom the morning that she died, and they prayed with her before she re returned back in the car. And she'd say, she said to us, I can see now sitting there, they just love me. And she said, I could not understand how they love me. And I could not understand why they loved me. She said, they just loved me. And so we all have this love-shaped heart, love-shaped hole within us. What's the song? Life without God is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle. <laughs> Life without love is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle. And it's a God kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that doesn't ask for the merits. It doesn't ask that you, what you've done to deserve it. And if we're to redeem relationships, we're going to start dealing with relationships like God's dealt with us. We've got to just take a step back when someone's hurt us and just think, well, they're hurting. And we're going to pour that love, like the Bible says, pour in the oil and the wine, the type that restoreth my soul. That's a hymn, actually. He found us bleeding and dying on the Jericho Roll Road and he poured in the oil and the wine. And we want to redeem our marriages. We want to redeem our friendships. We want to redeem our relationships. We're going to start loving like God loved us. And it'll change our lives amazingly. You know, you lose fear of people when you start thinking them about, about how much God loves them. You, lose, you find out what God loves you when you start loving people. Then the fear of man, there is no fear in the perfect love of God because fear, John says, involves punishment. There's no fear in the perfect love of God. And we're made with a love-shaped hole in our heart. And because he's loved us unconditionally, we can love him unconditionally. Let's have every head down, every eye closed. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.